You can have a seat. What I find to be most important to remember about my family and my friends who are no longer physically present with me is the gentle invitations that they gave to me to be more, both directly and indirectly, the ways that they invited me to be more, to be more joyful, to be more peaceful. It's not that in my face corrections or the offenses that they took, those are important to let slide away, to forgive. But the ways that they pointed me to something bigger, the ways that they pointed me to hope. So Sabbath, we are in a series on Sabbath, and I believe that Sabbath can be Sabbath is, at its best, one of those invitations that we give to other people to point them to something bigger, to point them to hope, to point them, other people, to the fullness of life. The scripture passage today is found, it's at the end of the instructions for building the tabernacle in Exodus. And the instructions for building the tabernacle are given in seven different divine speeches in Exodus. And all of those divine speeches begin with these words. Then the Lord said to Moses. This pattern, I think, will remind you of the creation story, the first chapter in Genesis, where seven different times the passage announces Then God said, then God said, then God said. So this is the seventh speech by God in Exodus on the creation of a holy space. This is Exodus chapter 31, and I'm going to read to you verses 12 through 17. The Lord said to Moses, you yourself are to speak to the Israelites. You shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, given in order that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it shall be cut off from among the people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the Israelites shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. This is the story of God for the people of God. Would you say with me, thanks be to God, thanks be to God. So this is the seventh speech in the creation of the tabernacle, and it is about Sabbath. As the seventh divine speech in the creation of the world is about Sabbath. Sabbath is important. Sabbath is significant. It is the crown of creation. Whether the world is being assembled or the tabernacle is being assembled, it is Sabbath that stands as the crown, Sabbath that stands as the pinnacle. This passage in Exodus 31, 
It's different from other passages that we've considered on Sabbath because it says that Sabbath is a sign. Sabbath is a sign, and that's what I want to think about. What does it mean to say that Sabbath keeping is a sign? Well, first, I think, and most obviously, a sign gives a clue about who I am or where I am. And so this small name tag that I wear, that I try to remember to wear, tells you my name and it tells you that I work here. It's a sign, right? The sign outside the church tells you the name of the church. And the sign down the road tells you that you've got a little farther down the road that you're no longer on the church property, that you're now at the golf course, right? So a sign tells you where you are and it tells you who a person is. It gives you a hint about identity. Often in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, we find the words signs and wonders together. In the Hebrew scriptures, this most often refers to the Exodus story and the signs and wonders that brought the slaves to freedom out of Egypt. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says that there's a difference between signs and wonders, between those two words. They're not just two different ways to describe the same thing. He says that a wonder is a miracle. God just does it. God does it through people, or God does it through the created order. Moves mountains, parts the sea. That's a wonder. But a sign is different. A sign has a message. It has something to say. A sign communicates. So an obvious sign in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 5, when King Belshazzar, who's a descendant of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, serves his guests from the gold and silver goblets that were taken from the Jerusalem temple. He serves his guests with those at a party. And so this hand appears, and the fingers from that hand write on the wall, your days are numbered. The hand writes in Aramaic, so the king can't read it, and Daniel has to come in to translate. For Daniel, the message is clear. The writing on the wall is a sign. It's a sign in the Bible story. The writing in the wall is a sign in the book of Daniel. So um, did you watch the World Series this week? We did at our house. Did you watch it? The Astros had a big win, right? So is it a wonder or is it a sign? I noticed that the question that was most frequently asked of fans after the game was this. What does this mean? What does this mean, this big win? And the Astros fans answered the question quickly. They said things like, it means everything. It means that even a hurricane can't keep Houston down. It means that we are the world champions. Because people could engage that question, what does this mean, and say that it's about more than just freak circumstances, because they could easily say, we know what this means, we can read the writing on the wall, we could say that the Astros win is a sign. And I think that there is something about us There's something about us as people. There's something about us as as humans that just likes a sign. 
because we like to give an occurrence a meaning. That, that makes us human, I believe. We like for our existence and our world to have meaning, which makes reading the Bible fun because the Bible seeks to put meaning on our lives. The first time that the Hebrew word for sign, which is pronounced oat, the first time that the Hebrew word for sign is used is in the very first chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, day 4 of creation, says this, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times and days and years. Wrap your brain around that. I love it. That every light we see, the stars, the sun, the moon, is a sign. Every time you glance at the moon or the stars or the sun, there is meaning there that your time is marked and valued by your creator. A sign. A sign communicates meaning. And the Bible would have us know that our lives are full of meaning. If you're not sure what that meaning is, I hope that you will look to the signs, to the sacraments of the church, to the signs that the church ordains for clues, to the sacraments, to even the Sabbath as a sign that the church ordains. These are places where God says we are valued We are loved, we are invested in, we are being rooted for. When we don't get those basics, I believe that we misinterpret. We misinterpret signs. We think that God is out to get us. The writing on the wall, the writing on the wall is easy to read. And it's not because God is out to get you or God is out to get me. But the writing on the wall is easy to read because, like Daniel, you know the language that God speaks. You know the language that the message is written in. You are valued. You are loved. You are being invested in and rooted for. Now, Exodus 31 wants us to know, and so does the prophet Ezekiel. That the Sabbath is a sign between God and us. Between us and God. It's found in both verse 13 and verse 17 in chapter 31 of Exodus. The Lord says, this is a sign between me and you. This is a sign between me and the people of Israel. When I was a child, when I was a child, my father collected terms of endearment. And expletives. It's different. He's a different father. My kids will probably say that their father collected camouflage and fishing lures. But my dad was a little bit different. My dad collected words. A favorite nickname that he had in our house that I think stuck because it was just so awkward and strange was the nickname Hose Nose. 
I think it came from the Smothers Brothers. I'm not sure. But it made us smile, so it stuck in our house. And when any of the three of us, three children, had a recital or we were singing in a choir or doing some kind of performance in a class, my dad would catch our eye and he would point to his nose and point to us. And we knew what that meant. We would smile. So just a few years ago, after one of those weekday school performances, probably that turkey tango that they do in here, or maybe it was the Christmas pageant that we had, one of my children was in the car with me, and he said to me, why does Bop, that's the name that they gave to their grandfather, isn't that sad, a man that loved words, his grandfather name is Bop, (laughs) B-O-P. So my child said, why does Bop, point to his nose when I'm singing and I said oh yeah that I guess it didn't it doesn't make make much sense to you but it's a sign it's a sign that he sees you and he loves you that's Sabbath it's between you and God between God and us it's a sign that God sees you And God loves you. I see you. I love you. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about creation, the creation passage, and he reminded us that the Creator keeps the Sabbath, that the Scripture says that on the seventh day, God rests. In the verses immediately preceding those words, the Scripture says this, God saw everything made, And behold, it was very good. So not just good, but very good. A sign from God. I see you. You are very good. And I love you. And when we keep the Sabbath, when we set a time of rest aside, it's a sign to God. It's a sign that our eye is on God. That we value God's ways. That we trust not solely in ourselves or our achievements. But we see God's ways and we see that those ways are good. So Sabbath is an act of faith. Rabbi Abraham Heschel wrote these words. The Sabbath is the presence of God in the world and it is open and available to us. The Sabbath is open and available to us. So the rabbi was implying that time is hallowed, that it's time that's set apart in the act of Sabbath, not a thing or a place. So we get God not in things or in places, but we get God in moments of time. We get God in moments of time, and the practice of Sabbath is a practice of admitting that and seeking God in time. So we don't have to have the right religious thing. We don't even have to have the proper behavior, what the Bible calls in Exodus clean or unclean to be holy. And that's kind of a surprise in the text because over and over ago, the text talks about what is clean and what is unclean. All the things in Exodus seem to be about what's 
proper and what's not proper, what's clean and what's not clean. You would think that right behavior or having the proper worship space, the proper tabernacle space would lead to sanctification. But verse 13 in our passage says this, you shall keep my Sabbaths that you may know that it is I, the Lord, that sanctifies you. So we find God in time. And then in that time, we are made holy. When we find God, when we meet God in that sacred set-apart time, that time of I see you and I love you. So I have to wonder, I have to wonder if Sabbath-keeping isn't also a sign for those who are around us. If our practice of, in our practice of Sabbath, can other people see that we rely on God? In our practice of Sabbath, do they also see that they are valued when we rest? Whether that means that we don't make other people work to bring us our rest, to bring us our Sabbath. Or do they see that they're loved during our time of rest, during our time of slowing down? Well, I have one last thing to say about the sign of Sabbath. There is a difference between a sign and a symbol that I think is important to remember as we practice Sabbath. A symbol can communicate meaning. So if I wave an American flag, you know that I'm an American. If I wear a Spurs jersey, you know that I'm a Spurs fan. But wearing the Spurs jersey is not going to make me a better basketball player, right? (laughs) Darn it. (laughs) I can wear a Tim Duncan Duncan jersey all day long, and I'm still not going to hit that basket. I will not become a Spurs basketball player by wearing the jersey. But a sign is different. That's a symbol. A sign is different. A sign works in us. It not only communicates meaning, but it does a work in us as we participate in that sign. It does the work of becoming. Not only in Exodus 31, but also in Deuteronomy 30, is this advice. Your days that are ahead of you, they're going to change you. You can change in one of two ways. Curses and death, or blessings and life. Those are the two ways that are set before you. The scripture says, choose life. Choose the things that bring life to you, that bring grace to you. Communion, Sabbath keeping, baptism, lighting a candle for a loved one. In all of those signs, grace is doing the work in us as we participate in those signs. Grace is changing us. Grace is sanctifying us. Grace is renewing us and giving us life. When theologian N.T. Wright talked about the day, the night before Jesus gave himself up for us, he writes that Jesus didn't give his disciples a long sermon or a dissertation, but what he gave them the night before he died was something to do. He gave them a sign. Would you join me in the communion liturgy? Blessed are you 
Lord our God, sovereign of the universe, who sanctifies us with your commandments and has commanded us to remember. We come to remember. We come to continue the journey. We come to re-enter the story, to explore our questions, to uncover our doubts, to face our need. We come to remember the Sabbath, to set time apart as holy. We seek to rest well in your presence, to realize that you see us and you love us, and to be transformed and made new. We come to re-enter the story, to connect to such hope, and testify to our faith, a hope and faith modeled by Jesus when he broke the bread with 12 disciples. On the night he gave himself up for us, he called his disciples to remember the sign of the Passover meal in a new way, saying, Take and eat, my body is given for you. Take and drink a new covenant in my blood. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. So now we bring our lives to his table. We drink and eat. This table is a sign. In this food, we share the body of Christ. In this drink, we are forgiven and made new. With this bread that we break and eat, the freedom of Christ is our hope. With this wine that we pour and drink, the love of Christ is our testimony. It's our practice in New Heights to serve communion to one another. And one of the instructions that we give as we prepare the table is to say, you can't mess this up. (laughs) You will serve the person who's right across from you, who appears right across from you at the table. You can say this is the body of Christ given for you as you hand them the bread. You can say this is the blood of Christ given for you as you share the cup with them. But you don't have to say anything. The table is set. Our hearts are prepared. Won't you come and be a part of this sign? This sign is for you.